Forgive me, Lord, for my pride. Help me to see myself and all things only in light of who you are. Only in the glorious light of Jesus. And I want my heart's desire to be to sing worthy is the Lamb. To, to shout it, to share it, for it to be the conduct of how I live inside my home and how I'm with my family and my neighbors and, and all the way to the nations. I want that to resonate in my heart and be seen by all. I want the light to shine out and through me and us into this community, but it to be not worthy is this church or these people, but worthy is the Lamb. We need that, Father. We need that. So we ask for it. We pray that you sanctify this day in our hearts, that it be useful to you and glorifying to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. What a delight and joy to be with you on the day of end gathering when we are coming together to rejoice in the abundance that God has given us and to pour that out here and to share it with others and to let it be a part of who we are. Now, I want to review some things with you as we lead up today to kind of give you um, a little handle on what we've covered so far. We talked about this one particular house that endured the storm, that endured the, all of what came from this uh, terrible tragedy on uh, the Florida Panhandle, and particularly we were looking at this one house that stood the storm. And we talked about building a house, building a home that would endure the storms of life, endure the storm of God's judgment. And so we began walking through some things that I wanted us to kind of take part in thinking of. And first was that we needed to look at our lives as having three homes and three families. That every believer should think this way. First, the home that we live in, that is our house, our residence. We had that threatened this week, and some of you are here today with some damage. Some of our members are not able to be here today because of some damage to their homes. And so, uh, this our, our homes were actually threatened this week. We've So many of you have been working at your neighbors and working down at LC and other places. We had the privilege of working with our neighbors this week on two days. We're going to do again tomorrow for a third day, just trying to bless our neighbors and our neighborhood to let them know of the love of the Lord. I had an opportunity yesterday, one of our neighbors came up to me and I was working in another neighbor's yard and he said, "Um, well, you know, you're doing a whole lot of work here for a rick of wood. And I said, I'm not doing it for the wood, I'm doing it for the neighbors. The whole point is that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. And I can think of the number of times God has sent neighbors to rescue me. And it was really funny because I was reading in the Proverbs this week, and one of the particular Proverbs that I was reading said, um, when there's trouble, don't go far away to your brother. 
And then it says, better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. And I thought, I'm going to practice that this week. And God, through this tornado, gave me the opportunity to put it to work, particularly in the lives of some folks I've been praying for in my neighborhood. And so I was really delighted what God brought about through even this storm. So the homes we live in, our church home, we're blessed. My goodness, I love this church. I love you and just the privilege of being here with you and serving with you and being blessed by you. I, I don't know if you know all the good stuff that this church does to each other, but there's so much behind the scenes stuff. Tuesday we came in and uh, the staff was just overloaded with an abundance of food for breakfast because one of the Sunday school classes just decided to just kind of load up on the staff with wonderful variety of home-cooked things. And we were able to share it with everybody. There was so much. We were giving it to folks who were coming in and visiting. We were giving it to the Mother's Day out. It was really great to be able to just rejoice. You guys are a blessing. And I watch you love on each other day after day and week after week. And it's just a beautiful we also have an eternal home. We're all prepping and getting ready to head there, and we are going together to that glorious place in the presence of Jesus where we will spend eternity together. I'm pretty fired up about that, and uh, I'm looking forward to the goodness and glory of that place. I shared with somebody recently, I'm looking forward to know what it feels like not to be anxious anymore. I've felt anxious since I was in, in about second grade, and, and, and I, I, I'm really going to be happy to not know anxiety anymore. I'm looking forward to that. So that eternal home thing thrills my heart. Three families. Of course, there's your home, your relative family, the folks you call yours here on earth, that sometimes it's blood, sometimes it's other kinds of relationship that leads you to call folks family and identify with them as family. Sometimes it's marriage and sometimes it's just because you're adopted or there is an unofficial kind of adoption where you're taken in and treated and loved as family. Then there's our church family again. We have a church home, we have a church family. And the church home is kind of the location we gather, but it's more than that. It's the people that we gather with. We are the church on and off the campus. And then our eternal family, reaching all the way back to the saved saints of old and all the way into the future of all those who are going to come to Christ and all the way across the nations today of those who are followers of Christ. This is the family of God, born again, followers of Jesus, and we're delighted to call each other family. This is a blessing for us. We talked about being the model home. And we start on our outline now, filling in that first blank. What is the model home? It's an environment to know God, to grow in His likeness, and to show others what He's like. That's what a model home is. It's where you decide, you determine, you by following Christ, establish your house like that guy did on Mexico Beach, where you sink the foundation of your house down onto something more than the easy sand at the top level, but you go down and you sink your house into the foundation of Jesus Christ and who He is. And you fulfill Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus said that the wise man built his house on the rock and Jesus said that He and His teachings were that 
rock. And so we want to build houses like this, where we're fostering that everything that goes on in the house is in order that folks may know God, that they may grow in His likeness, and that by that household we can show others, as we welcome them into our household, what God is like. Today what I want to share with you is about giving. And so I want to share with you the one, two, three lesson on giving. I gave this um, almost two years ago to you when we were walking through 2 Corinthians in a series of sermons called Entrustworthy. Uh, being able to be entrusted, being worthy of being entrusted with precious things. And so I want to walk through that with you today to kind of help you lay hold of why the issue of giving is such an important topic in the life of Jesus. He spoke more about money than he did about heaven. He spoke more about money than he did about hell. And so he knew that often the influence of money, the stuff, more than just money, material things, has the power to sway our souls and direct their paths. So much so that we can get our treasures mixed up and lay them all up on earth and end up missing eternity and eternal life because of our love for the immediate. If you were in Sunday school today, you saw a lesson about that. And that lesson was that Esau was so interested in the immediate that he gave up what was lasting and what was future. The book of Hebrews in chapter 12 talks about the foolishness of Esau because he sold his birthright for one meal and cashed in the future for something very, very temporal. So what Jesus does in teaching us, and through the Apostle Paul we learn, is that giving is a matter of the heart wherein God has set our heart right with Him so that our hands use our things in a way that we know is pleasing to Him. So we've broken it down into one, two, three, or really we could turn it around and call it three, two, one. So we're going to start off with the first section, three principles of giving. Three principles of giving. I want you to join me in Second Corinthians chapter 8. In that passage, Paul is, in a sense, doing a comparison. There was a group of people called the Macedonians, and they were broke. They were poor. They were rural folk. They had very little. And they were not wealthy in any way. In fact, when Steve read this, it just reminded me of how broke they were. If you go to chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, verse 1, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. What Paul's talking about is he's saying to the Corinthians, you know, you guys are, you're reasonably well off. Most of you Corinthians have a little more than you need. But I'm going to tell you a story about some folks who have less than they need. And even though they have less than they need, they were still willing to give out of their need. 
And he's saying that they had such joy in Christ that it was easy for them to give. This is different than so much of how giving is postured today. The prosperity gospel is trying to get you to give $100 so that God will give you $1,000 back. The guilt motivators are trying to get you to give out of guilt so that you can kind of get this monkey off your back that's kind of gnawing at you and always bothering you because you feel guilty for the things you own. And if you'll give a certain amount, you won't feel guilty for having the nice stuff that you have. There's all kinds of ways that people try to get you to give. The Bible doesn't teach in those ways. The Bible teaches that giving is such a matter of a joyful heart that there's this unique statement in 2 Corinthians. Now, you and I know from John 3.16, what's God's general disposition towards the world? What is it? God so loved. Yeah, we, we get that. We know that. But I want you to think in light of a verse that probably is foundational in our evangelism and certainly in Southern Baptist life, one of the most cherished verses we'll ever quote, that you get another taste of God's love in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 where it says, God loves a cheerful giver. That there is a very unique disposition that God has towards people who give freely, joyfully, cheerfully towards Him. You don't hear that quoted as much as John 3.16. Because it kind of gets into our lives a little differently than John 3.16. John 3.16 is all about what is coming toward us, but... 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is about this kind of thing that flows out of us. Because of John 3.16, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 exists. It is because God, being a giver, has resided in your heart. He gives you the capacity to become a cheerful giver just like Him. God cheerfully gave His Son. He did so because He loves you. God didn't begrudgingly send Jesus He planned it before you were born. He planned it before the world was created. God does this wonderful giving, and He does it cheerfully. Jesus didn't begrudgingly go to the cross. The Bible says He set His face like flint to the cross. He determined that that's where He was going to go. And so when we hear God loves a cheerful giver, it's because the disposition of God has entered our heart and given us a particular disposition about giving So that we're just like God. And so the Apostle Paul says, God loves a cheerful giver. We see that in chapter 9, verse 7. There's not grudgingly, it's not under compulsion, it's not manipulatively. It's not, hey, I'm not coming to you. By the way, listen carefully. You may give to God and go broke. I'm not promising you some kind of thing that comes out of your giving. Where you all of a sudden get a bigger house, a nicer car, a better job, because you came and gave today. Can I make that clear now? Your transmission may go out this week. 
You may be in for 3500 bucks to get a new transmission in your car. So if you're giving today and you're thinking, let me leverage God a little bit. The enemy may come after you this week to find out, is your heart in this or was it all about your pocketbook? There are times that people do exactly what God wants them to do in the Old Testament and New Testament. And right afterward, they get whacked. Am I I right? And so I don't want us to come together today with some kind of fictitious picture that what God's going to grow today through my giving is my wealth. I'm going to tell you, He is going to grow something by your sincere giving. I'm going to share that with you. But I want you to know that what God loves in your heart is the cheerfulness of giving, not whether or not you're leveraging Him to try to get something for next week from Him. This is love. We love because He first loved us, and we give because He first gave to us. That's Paul's whole point in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, is that our giving is based, premised first upon His giving. Getting ahead of myself. So the principle first is the principle of sowing and reaping. Paul just lays that out in chapter 9, verse 6. He's talking about these poor people who've given, and now they're going to sow and reap. So he says in verse 6, of chapter 9. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, but he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. But this is really interesting because this is the verse that's often leveraged by the prosperity gospel people to say, listen, I want you to give because what God's going to do is He's going to do something by you leveraging Him, He's going to owe you. Listen, I want you to know something. You can't put God in your debt. Please leave here today with that knowledge. God doesn't owe you. You are working from a position of owing everything to Him. Your life and your salvation are all owed to Him. Now, I don't want you to work out of that poverty. I don't want you to work out of that owing because you can't pay Him back. But I want you to know from that you can't leverage Him to owe you something. I don't want you to start a giving plan to say, listen, if I do this, I know what's going to happen is is that we're going to get richer or we're going to get better off or whatever. When you read the things that happened to Paul in the New Testament, Paul talks about having to live homelessly for a great degree of his ministry. That was his blessing for being a giver to God. And so our rewards are set up in heaven, not on earth. Very important. Now, I don't want that to sound discouraging because God does want you to reap something. But let's, let's figure out what He wants us to reap. It says, He who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. So let me ask you something. What is it we're going to reap? Now, I want you to think this through. Because a lot of folks, this is that whole sowing thing. But if you don't follow exactly what the text says and you just lift it up out of its context, you'll be... Pulled in when that telepreacher comes on and says, if you'll send a hundred dollars in today and put your hand on the TV screen. And you'll be writing a check to some fund out there to have some guy flying around the world in a private jet when people are going out food. Now listen carefully. He does want you to reap. And He does tell what we reap. But if you don't read the text, you don't know what we reap. So what is it we reap? 
Well, he gives it a little bit further. He says in verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound so that you always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. So evidently there's some reaping going on. And then he quotes a psalm in verse 9. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness abides forever. Now, until two years ago, listen carefully, I did not know who that verse was talking about. I thought it was talking about Jesus. I mistakenly thought it was talking about Jesus. I thought it talked about how Jesus' righteousness abides forever and Jesus distributes to the poor and all that. It's not. It's a direct quote from a psalm. And in that direct quote, Psalm 112.9, he's talking about the person who fears the Lord. And that what is being harvested is not money. Listen to what's being harvested. Verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower, we're going to talk about it in a minute, and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your what? Your what? Didn't say bank account, did he? So next time the telepreacher comes on and wants to warp you, twist you by saying, if you give, he's going to increase your bank account, the text says what God is interested in growing in you through your giving is your righteousness. What does that mean? It means that you're rarely more like God than when you're giving. You're rarely more like God than when you're giving. He wants to grow you in His likeness. And the way that He grows you in His likeness is He makes you into a sacrificial giver. You see, God could have given you the universe and it would have been a great toy for you in all the years you spent until you went to hell. He could have given you the earth. And it would have been a wonderful journey and adventure for you until you eked out your life here and spent your days in hell. No. God gave you something more valuable than the universe, more valuable than the kingdoms and riches of this earth. God gave you His Son. That's sacrificial. God can make universes every six days. But He only has one Son. And so when you determine to be a giver, you determine to show yourself to be like God. And what God grows is your righteousness, not your self-righteousness. Don't come down here and drop a check in here. Beat yourself on the chest. That you're doing something. Listen, every heartbeat you have ever had to make any money, God gave it to you as a gift. And what you're doing today is just recognizing that. That's all. And so, He's wanting to grow our righteousness. Man, I'm going to go over time here. Can you all hang with me just a few more minutes? We got dinner on the grounds today. You don't have to wait in line over at Los Portales, okay? Just got a little line here. We're going to take you to dinner. It's good. You can smell the turkey if you think about it right now, okay? 
Alright, so sowing and reaping. That's the main thing that Paul's after here. The principle of sowing and reaping. By sowing rightly and righteously, the reaping is rightly and righteousness. And so it's a, it's a beauty that God has for us. He also has the principle of designated supply. Look in verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for what? What's it say? Sowing. And listen, here's, here's the thing that we have trouble with. We get seed, we get seed. Okay, think about corn as money, as, as stuff, as, as, as treasures, as valuable. Think about it. You can do a lot of things with corn. Now let me show you what you can do. You can do this. You know what I mean? Can you do this with corn? I'm a cornbread nut. I love cornbread. I like old school cornbread. Forget the jiffy. Don't give me sweet in it. I want cornbread that's just old school. I mean cast iron pan. My mom used to make it. I remember her sliding that cast iron pan out in the rack of the oven because she preheated it so it'd get a good crispy crust and then pouring the cornmeal mix on into it and here and it go and he's sliding that thing back in. I'm sitting there going, oh, bring it, bring it. And I just ate butter on it. That's all I needed. Just butter and cornbread. Alright, you can not only do that, you can go and do this. Nachos, baby. Corn chip delight. This is the whole reason that God let us have corn chips. Is to have nachos. Alright? Or you can go a step further and go this route. Yes! Alright? Crawfish with the bull corn. I honestly think it's about my favorite part of it. Gets real spicy. You get a couple of bites of corn and your lips go numb. You know what I'm talking about? Oh man. Or in a few minutes you could be dining on what? This. We got some cornbread dressing cooking right across the way. Y'all hungry yet? My mouth's watering right now. Choke on my own spit. <laughs> Goodness. But listen, with this, you can also do this. You gotta, you gotta determine, is your corn for planting so you can get more corn, or is your corn for eating? The principle of designated supply is this. God did not give you all your corn to eat. Part of what He's giving you is to sow. Listen to it. Verse 10. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Okay? That means part of what God gives me when I get paid or when I inherit or when I get money from investments, part of what I have is to eat. Okay? That means I, I get... But part of it is to sow. And the increase here is the increase for sowing. It says it there, verse 10. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, okay? That's the two ways that you use what you get. You make cornbread with it, or you can set it aside to plant it. Alright? You have to know the balance. How much of what God gave you was for you to eat, and how much was for you to give? I think this is the most important decision outside of salvation that each of us will make. Because it will determine how we live. It will determine our standard of living. And it will also set us up to give account to God for how we used what He gave us. 
Remember the guy, the rich man, who said, I'll just build bigger barns. I got too much seed, so I'm just going to build bigger barns so I can store my seed. I'll just, I'll just put more grain in. God said, you fool, your soul is required of you tonight. Now who's going to get what you saved up? And then he says, so it is toward people who are not rich towards God. And so we have to determine, and so we have a decision to make as we work this out. Do we go out and plant this and make a field of it, or do we just eat it all? So the principle of designated supply is very important. Part of what you own is intended for your consumption, and part of what you own is intended for you to sow into the lives of others through the local church, through international missions, through giving to the poor, through all the different ways that you can. And you have to know where that line is. I don't know where that line is. I cannot come to your house and tell you. But here's what I want you to know. At some point, you're going to face God. And you're going to have to give an account for what you did with the balance. How much of the seed did you grind and eat? And how much of it did you pour out and plant? You and I will stand before God for every grain of corn He's given us. Not some, not most, but every. I can tell you that I've not always been good with that. I shared with you a few weeks ago some of my own journey in struggling with it. Finally, the principle of equality. Then we're going to talk about two more things. Hang with me. The principle of equality is found in verse 13 of chapter 8. It says, For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction. Okay, in other words, I don't want to come to you with some kind of big old guilt thing Lay it on you, some kind of manipulation, and let you give a whole lot so somebody else doesn't have to carry their load. Listen carefully. Everybody here needs to be sharing the load at whatever level they're at. In other words, when we say the word sacrifice, that means different things to different people. When you hear Jesus in the story of the widow who gives the little copper coin, you hear her, you hear Jesus exemplify her as a true giver, while the Pharisees are giving just out of their excess, and he calls them false givers. Why? Because there is a difference of what means sacrifice. To those Pharisees, pouring out that amount that they poured out and got attention for, they weren't giving up anything. They weren't giving up any ease, any comfort, any convenience. They weren't sacrificing anything. They were just giving the overflow of the leftovers, and the widow was giving everything. And she trusted God to take care of her. So the word sacrifice means something different to everybody here. Sacrifice means that it costs us something of our comfort and convenience and self-confidence for the future. It's very important. Sacrifice means something. That's what Paul is calling for. Listen, he says, For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, verse 13, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being the supply for their want, that their abundance also may become a supply for your want, that there may be equality. What Paul says is everybody should give at a level that is considered sacrificial. I remember getting ready for an Ecuador trip a long time ago, 15, 16 years ago. 
senior adult lady lived across the street from me, just a precious lady. She was on a very limited income, and I was standing uh, in my yard, and she motioned for me to come over. She met me halfway in the middle of the, in the, middle of the street. I'm choking on my spit. I said it, and I'm doing it. My mouth's still watering over the cornbread dressing. I'm sorry. <laughs> Swallow. Okay, there we go. She meets me in the middle of the street, and her hands are trembling. And not from age. They're trembling because she's excited. And she opens a little envelope, and her hands are trembling, and tears start to run. She said, I want you to have this to help somebody in some of our early work in Ecuador. Help somebody go to Ecuador. And she said this. She said, I had 20 extra dollars each month for the last five months. And here's $100 for you. Will you give it to somebody and go to Ecuador? That's sacrifice. That's sacrifice. All I had left, those five months was 20 bucks. Here you go. That's sacrifice. That's what it looks like. And so she was willing to have some discomfort for that to happen. Did anybody demand that of her? Absolutely not. That was a cheerful heart willing to give. Her hands trembling were joy of doing what God had moved in her heart to do. So it's not about one carrying the load and the other not. Each gift is important. Let's finish up. Twofold purpose in giving. Pretty simple. One, it's meeting the needs of others. When you give to this capital campaign and when you give your regular giving, you're meeting the needs of others. You know we're able to provide counseling here among our pastoral staff for free and not charge anybody. We counsel with a number of people weekly. Your staff is able to do that. Your pastor is able to do that. And we're able to refer. And actually we have church members who will help with those referrals when we do have to go to a licensed professional. But we're able to do those things because you give. You are supporting so many dozens of ministries. I can't even tell you about all of them that you do by your regular giving. By providing this facility, the worship, all of the things that go on on this campus as we gather, the training, the teaching. You're a part of every bit of that. Meeting the needs of others globally. 10% of all of our offerings go off to the cooperative program. Part of that goes to Baptist Global Response that's working all over the world in disasters. Part of it goes to disaster relief work in Louisiana. Part of it goes to other kinds of missions and ministry, the International Mission Board, the North American Mission Board. Your giving is helping the needs of others, and also your capital campaign giving will work on this campus and through Project Hope to meet the needs of others. This is a simple one. Paul says it so clearly here when he uh, lays it out in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12, when he says, <clears throat> For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a man has, not according to what he does not have. In other words, as you're pouring out, and go to chapter 9, verse 12, For the ministry of the service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing through many thanksgiving. You're meeting the needs of the saints. There are a number of people that sit among you that you've helped to make a house payment when things got bad. You've helped to make a car payment. You've kept their utilities on in a bad time. They're sitting right here with us. You've put food on their table. You'll never know who they were because our benevolence committee took care of those things privately. You are so helpful to the needs of others. And it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. The second 
purpose in giving is thanksgiving and glory to God. That's what we do. That's why the kind of offering that we're patterning today after is called a heave offering, where you're lifting something up to God to say, you are glorious and I am thankful and I'm giving this in a way that I know that you would be pleased with what I'm putting in front of you. It recognizes how glorious that you are. The final thing I want to share with you today is the fundamental motive under everything. The fundamental motive under everything is that there's a gospel-centered prompt. In other words, something is prompting us to our giving. I don't want you to give out of guilt. That's not good. Because what it does is it gives you a false sense that things are okay. You come in guilty about something you bought. You overspend on something. You come in guilty about how you've been living. And you say, well, I'll make up for that. Listen, there's only one answer to your guilt. It is Jesus living and dying for your sins. That's the only way your guilt can be relieved. And if you give out of guilt to try to relieve your guilt, you're giving yourself a false sense of what it takes to redeem your soul. Money cannot redeem your soul. Only the precious blood of Jesus slain on the cross, raised from the dead, that's the only relief of our guilt. I don't want you to give to leverage God either. I shared that with you already. I don't want you to be motivated by greed, saying, here's what I'm going to do. If I do this, I'll get recognition from God or I'll get recognition from men. Listen, that whole Ananias and Sapphira thing scares me on a day like today. Y'all with me? They gave on a day like this and laid it at the apostles' feet and the Lord knew they were bluffing and He took their lives. I don't want you coming up here bluffing with God today. All right? <laughs> Please. I don't want to do a funeral this week. But what is that gospel center prompt? It's simple. The grace-giving and gift of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul gives it right in the heart of the teaching in chapter 8. He says, <clears throat> verse 9. Chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though He was rich... Yet for your sakes, what did he become? What's it say? Poor. Jesus laid aside all of his wealth and riches. And he stepped out of heaven, stepped into human skin, and lived an impoverished life on earth for your sake. He did that. He laid aside his wealth in order. I mean, he owns everything. And on earth, he owned little. Almost nothing. Remember, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He says, listen to the whole thing. Yet, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Well, that's how you became rich. You're rich in the inheritance of God, inheriting the kingdom and the universe, all as a result of Jesus' work. So I'm going to ask you to bow with me for a moment and ponder a couple of things. Uh, well, don't bow yet. Let's get our picture back up first. Every one of you come today with an amount of seed that you own. God's lent it to you. Um, after He lent it to you, uh, He put you in charge of it. He made you a steward of it. All your possessions, your bank accounts, your money, your home, your car, your savings, your stock, everything. God's lent all of that to you and it can be represented by this corn on the screen and you have to choose what you're going to do with that corn. You can choose to, well, you can choose to eat it, 
Or you can choose to invest it in others so that it will grow your righteousness. You have choice. I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to like twist your arm or something, but I want you to understand you are choosing right now what you're going to do with all your corn. You were choosing that yesterday, you were choosing it the day before, you'll be choosing it tomorrow. It's not just a one-time thing. We're not looking for just this moment burst of, oh, I want to run up here and put something in the basket. That's not what I want. But I want you to know that I'm going to answer and you're going to answer for every little grain of corn that God has given us. And whether we used it to ingest it or we used it to invest it. And today is the day when I'm asking you to do this. I'm asking you to sow. I'm asking you to invest. And when you give today, that's what we're doing. We're investing. I don't know how God's going to grow your righteousness out of it. I don't know what He's going to teach you, what He's going to make of you from it. But I do believe that if with a cheerful heart, a clean conscience... You come today and you give. I believe somehow God is going to use it for your growth because that's what He says in His Word. And so if you'll bow with me for a moment, I'm going to ask you to consider coming forward in a moment. Mary's going to come up and she's going to play in a moment. And Steve Ortego and his family, they're going to kick it off in a second and they're going to come forward and They're going to give an offering, and they represent the senior adults. And I'm going to ask senior adults to join them. And so we're going to pray right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we begin our giving today, I want to honor You. I'm a real punk, Lord, and there are times when when my pride gets messed up and it gets into my preaching, it gets into my living. Right now, I just want to empty myself before You and ask You to honor Yourself today in this congregation by our giving and to be glorified in our midst by our love for you and for each other. In Jesus' name. Now, I'm going to ask that the Steve and, and Linda, y'all come. And if you're a senior adult and you're wanting to give to this, I want you to follow them and come on and let the senior adults lead the way, remembering and celebrating our past. And so if you call yourself a senior adult and willing to admit it, y'all come on, follow the order goes, and come and give your gift into the basket. If you want to give privately, we will let you do that afterwards. But thank God for His church and for the senior adults who've led the way for years and years among us and are doing so today. What a glorious gift to us are our senior adults. Y'all look around, youngins. This is a sweet, sweet gift to our church. Being led by these folks who've been doing this for years and years. Not just a momentary thing, but a pattern of their sacrificial lives. Boy, I thank God for them. Amen. How sweet. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, y'all don't exit yet. Stay with us a minute because we need to tell you something before you go to dinner. All right? So y'all hang on just a second.
Very good. Praise the Lord. Okay. B.J. Colvin is going to come and lead his family, the median adults. If you're not quite willing to admit you're a senior adult and you're not really a young adult anymore, join B.J. and his family as they come and give. My family's going to come at this time and give. precious. Y'all make sure you don't leave yet. Uh, we still have our invitation coming. We've got some great things happening during our invitation today, so I'm looking forward to that. So hang on with us. Uh, the Bridges family, Chris and Maggie, are going to lead for our young adults and our youth and college students. You'll come forward now. Thank you. Love when our college students and youth see the vision of giving and share among us. It's always a beautiful thing. Thank God for our young adults and what God's doing in their lives. How sweet. Amen. We try to keep them all hidden up in the balcony. How sweet. Praise the Lord. Anyone else who wants to come, you don't feel like you're classified in any of those, you're welcome to come as well. Uh, it's, that's, 